podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Liverpool in focus. One topic, one guest, every week. Hello, welcome to episode 53 of the InFocus podcast. My guest this week is Michael von Herf, who, if you're a regular Anfield Index listener, you'll know Michael's voice. Michael's a Canadian Liverpool fan, long, long-term Liverpool fan. He's a, He's been a regular on the Anfield Index podcasts over the years. It's my first opportunity to have him on the InFocus podcast. I do hope you enjoy the conversation. Michael and I spent some time talking about the organisational culture and method of work at Liverpool right now. In other words, what does Jurgen Klopp and, and his team bring to the organisational culture of the club, the running of the club, how the club works, how Klopp brings the best out of his players? So let's have a listen. I hope you enjoy the conversation just as much as I enjoyed talking to Michael. So, Michael, why Liverpool? Well, it's a good question, John. Um, I think uh, you and I are, I think, are of similar vintages. And and uh, growing up in Canada, um, I was used to uh, seeing fairly limited English football um, on the television. And so what we ended up getting were highlight packages. And in the late 1970s, early 1980s, that was Liverpool. But there was a specific moment. Um, and I was trying to remember which year, but I th- I'm pretty sure it was that epic series of FA Cup semifinals in 1979 between United and Liverpool, where we sadly, in the end, were knocked out. Um, and uh, by goal by Jimmy Greenoff. Um, and United, I think, went on to lose the FA Cup that year, though I can't remember. I didn't care anymore. I learned two things. One, that I loved Liverpool. Uh and that I hated Manchester United. And <laughs> it was a formative moment uh, in, my, in my football education. Uh, and like so many fans from overseas, um, following the club was difficult. You'd race to the, to the, the Sunday newspapers uh, to find out what the results were um, the previous day because there was no online option. There was a program. I grew up in Toronto. There was a program on Saturday afternoons called on the radio called Calling All Britons and it was mostly a kind of a nostalgia show for many of the service British servicemen who'd ended up moving to Canada and they would play old songs from the war but they would at six o'clock every night they would Saturday night they would give you the the football league results and the Scottish league results for all four divisions and uh, so I was able – if I managed to catch Calling All Britons, I could get, uh, I could get the advance warning on, the, um, on how Liverpool had done that weekend. But um, – and my, my, my memory of that period was we would actually call the radio stations during European uh, Cup uh, – European Cup runs to find out. Uh, they would have wire services and we would call in to find out what the results were. And that would be around sort of 5 o'clock our time. Um, by the time the final whistle uh, came in. I remember vividly uh, from 4.30 to 5.30 in 1981 in May or late May, early uh, early June 1981, calling to find out the result of the Liverpool-Real Madrid European Cup final in Paris. And I called about 17 times before the guy actually read out to me the teletype that had come over that Liverpool on a goal from... Uh, Alan Kennedy had uh, 
had won the European Cup, and I remember dancing a jig in my kitchen <laughs> with uh, the old cordless telephone, which was quite an innovation at the time. It was. We were uh, so we were so modern. <laughs> yes, yes. And then that next that Saturday, I was able to watch the the highlight package of uh, Alan Kennedy scoring that remarkable goal. Um, and then you know, I, I remained obviously followed the club closely. Um, and then you know, the university years you start to get focused on your own career and those sorts of things and spent less time and then really reignited my interest um, uh, in the, with Istanbul and, and then in particular, as we sort of hit the 2008, seven, eight, nine, ten, and then the internet of course has made it so much more accessible and it can be my, uh, close to my full-time job now following the club <laughs> that's it that's a brilliant that's the best way i've heard it it's close to my full-time job following the club making podcasts reading reports listening to podcasts all about liverpool football club now michael it's brilliant that you're on the show and we were just talking before i hit the record button here about the first time that we talked on a show and that was Way back in December 2015, and my good friend, your good friend, uh, Jan Gorski-Mesha was on the show. And it was actually just after we'd played West Brom, who we happened to be playing this weekend. Not sure when Gags is going to put this out. But I, as you and I were talking, this is a good point of departure for what we wanted to talk about. And that is, in case anyone has forgotten, Jonas Olsen scores. We're struggling. Jordan Henderson has got a, got us a goal. We, right at the death, get back into it. Uh, we, 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 um, Benteke gets, I think it's a deflection, 2-2 against West Brom and Klopp. He makes everyone go over to the, uh, the players, uh, go, goes over to the supporters, drags them across. They l- hold hands and cheer and celebrate and thank the fans. It was uh, ridiculed in the media. Some fans thought that he'd lost his marbles. Some people, I think, really got behind it and thought it was quite great. And I actually remember seeing Dejan Lovren a couple of weeks later, expecting to go and do it again. Uh, Why is that significant? Well, I remember, I think this was the first time you and I had ever spoken. And it was, I saw that moment, you know, I I recalled we'd had some ups and downs um, and we were starting to kind of pick up some steam in the Europa League, um, but had had some, just some remarkable results. And then we'd had some really disappointing results and, and the, the hardcore old school fan base found it rather cringy. And I remembered it had come a couple of weeks after one of Klopp's first home games where we had lost to Crystal Palace. Um, and he saw fans leaving the match on about uh, 80 minutes. And he, was, he, he, he couldn't understand it. And I remember saying to, to you and Jan at the time that um, – you know, I, I, it was either Benteke or Origi who scored the, the tying goal. It was off a deflection, and uh, it was an injury time. And uh, I remember saying at the time that this is part of his process. He's trying to embed in these players a new sense of themselves, new stories to tell themselves. You know, we all as people have stories we tell ourselves about who we are and what we're about. And particularly as groups of people, you know, sometimes it's the story of the underdog. Sometimes it's the story of the great club that isn't properly recognized for all that it's achieved. Um, 
But we all tell ourselves different stories, and good leaders um, have a way of taking events and 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 building those into those stories. And I, I remembered at the time that uh, that's what I what I thought was part of uh, the method to the madness of doing that. That where we never give up till the end. Uh, our fans should understand we never give up till the end. And ultimately, they we are here for them, and and we have to acknowledge them after a match. And um, I, for me, you know, I think at that point we we had beaten City at home. We'd beaten Chelsea. Oh, sorry, we'd beaten City away. We'd beaten Chelsea away in that game against Mourinho that started the long death march um, uh, for him to walk the plank uh, at Chelsea. Um, but we'd had some disappointing results. But for me, that was kind of a middling result that that Klopp um, was using and putting to work to start telling the story to the boys about mm. what we do here. This is what we do here. Mm, that's a fantastic point. You're right. It was, uh, it's, it's Origi that, that, that gets the deflected equalizer. I think f- for me, I have a tendency to think of Benitez as the tactician and Klopp as the motivator, the just go and do it and the gung ho energy, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm, I'm, I'm wrong here because uh, well, Benitez is a tactician, but Klopp is strategic. He is tactical. And I think in, in reminding ourselves of what he does with the players, uh, it's a specific strategic step. Um, as a leader, when you come in, when you come into an organization, change management, he's coming in the October. Um, it rides the crest of a whale and everyone runs their heart out, bless them to begin with. And there's a great new, you know, the bounce, the vibe. But to come into organization that is dysfunctional, and I think we were a dysfunctional organization because of the personalities involved, because of the lack of experience, the experience, I don't know what, but it, it from where I, I am in supporter land, I'm seeing Liverpool as a dysfunctional club, the whole thing around uh, Brendan Rodgers and the transfer committee and that smacked to me of dysfunction in comes Klopp it's very difficult you can't change everything and every aspect of the club it takes time and I think for me one of the most um, clearly strategic tactical cognizant shifts is when Klopp grabs the guys and says we're going over here and he takes on both the players attitudes because i think he he's he's taking a bunch of prima donna um high earning uh superstars and gets them to go over to, which must have been actually quite a difficult embarrassing thing for some of them were, were cringing you could see it and he also goes straight at the jugular with the fan base and i don't think you do that on a whim i think he was very conscious of what he was doing because it had been building, there'd been so many comments building in the uh, in the press. What do you think? Um, absolutely. Uh, but um, it's funny. I was as I was thinking about our conversation. Um, I was thinking about you know what what how is how is Klopp different um, from others? And the thing that I would say about him, he, while he is strategic. Um, the two words that come to mind for me or two roles that come to mind for me with him are builder and teacher. Um, uh, if the, the, the subject of the master motivator, I, I think that is true. But um, 
and although we see him on the sideline hollering at everyone and and directing them uh, during the course of a game, I actually think his longer term project or plan project such a cringy word but um uh plan is to teach um everyone he works with um and to learn from them of course because i think he's a learner as well um but to to play the role of teacher so that they are intrinsically motivated that that they find places inside themselves to tap into get them over the hump when they're going through a bad spell, whether it's it's um, Sadio Mane uh, in December when he was going through a period of time. You know, Klopp talked about in the press that he had had a number of conversations with him um, about kind of doing what he does best. When you hear the interview with Graham Hunter that he had, and he talked about uh, Andrew Robertson uh, coming to him and saying, uh, you know, um, boss, what do I need to do more of? And frankly, Klopp was, uh, Graham Hunter was saying, you know, for an Anglo-Saxon, that's considered having desire. For Klopp, it was a sign of not listening. And he said to him, I've told you what you need to do. You just need to do more of that. And you need to, you need to find it within you. I'm not going to instruct, he didn't say that, but you get the sense. He's, I'm not going to instruct you. I'm going to help teach you. I'm going to help teach, but you've got to find a lot of this inside of you. Um, so we'll teach you all the tactical things. We'll teach you all the positional things. We'll teach you all, uh, all the things about the role that you're supposed to play. But the performance, when it comes to the motivation, that's something that I'm relying on you to bring that I can build on. And, and the same thing goes, um, holds true on this issue of this. He is very strategic in his approach, but I, I do think he sees this role a little bit differently from certainly from Mainz and certainly a little bit differently from Dortmund. Uh, having an opportunity to actually build an organization and an organizational culture. Now, if you listen to Simon uh, Brundish on the UP broadcasts uh, or podcasts, he's made a really excellent point on a couple of occasions. He worries that he, there's too many of the too much of the reins are in Klopp's hands. It's not distributed widely enough and so um if if his situation were to change if he were to leave the club uh then you know then you you would be you'd have a huge vacuum um that i you know that's i think that's a fair observation but having said all that i do believe he's uh, implementing a a broader reorganization of the club to deal with some of those areas of dysfunction and bring some order to them so you know, if it's bringing in Andreas Kohnmeier or bringing in Mona Nemmer or if it's bringing in uh, – or Monica. Monica Nemmer? Mona Nemmer? Um, Monica, I uh, think, yeah. Um, uh, if, it's, if it's about uh, um, establishing how that relationship with Michael Edwards is going to work, um, all those things um, I think have, have really cleared the decks of um, inefficiencies and, and lack of alignment. I think I think you've got an organization right now that's super super well aligned behind the objectives that they've set for themselves. Mm, I think that's a very interesting point. For FSG, it must have been very difficult. They they buy a club, they're not in the soccer business. They don't have the, the they don't have a, a deep level of understanding of British soccer, European world soccer. They they get a club. We, we've gone through a, a number of managers. We've gone through a number of journeys in the, the Premier League and in Europe, getting into Europe, falling by the wayside, getting very, very tantalizingly close. 
they they've been on a learning i think they've been on a learning curve and as i said to you before we hit re- record it's only with with hindsight that we can start to join the dots and it seems to me that with the appointment of Jurgen Klopp that FSG were it it they got to a point where they began to understand how 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 soccer how football works they identified the kind of manager kind of coach the kind of team because i think when you were getting Klopp you were definitely getting his team because you know he he's he's worked so closely with um uh, Buvac and uh, oh what's the other guy's name Ah. Uh, Peter Kravitz. Yeah, thank you. They've been, you know, it, it, it was the the three of them. It was a, a, a unit that, but you know, because I, I don't, I don't, I don't see it as Klopp, the organisational changer, the change agent. I, I mean, he is the change agent, but I, I don't think he necessarily is the only person figure in the progress that we're making. I think FSG themselves had identified what they needed because I, I i do think there is a, a tendency to see the manager as where the club begins and ends the, and that the 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 owners are just there to cough up the money i don't i i and, and i think i think fsg and i've been critical of them but i do think fsg made a really really good appointment in 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 hiring Klopp and his team given what he'd done in the past and seeing what he could potentially do for a club like ours well, it's hard to argue. First of all, it's so enjoyable to watch the the aesthetically. I mean, it's hard to dispute that. What what I think is interesting about FSG is these are in the first instance kind of um, business people who are who gravitate toward kind of McKinsey management consulting, quantitative evaluation and analysis, and uh, um, what. I think they have struggled – what they've sought from the beginning with Damien Camoli and, and then later, I guess, the committee and Rogers' vision, um, but have kind of arrived at with uh, Klopp is a – what I'll call a performance model. What do you need to do to succeed in the on-field uh, – with the on-field product? Um, what do you need to do to, to generate uh, the outcomes that you want to be winners? Mm. I still think they're struggling with what the economic model is uh, for for this kind of business because there's such a hodgepodge. They're used to Amer- North American, the North American reality of the franchise model, where there's a league. They have you know evenly distributed uh, franchises that are owned by independent owners um, uh, who do some gain sharing, um, have some constraints on them that everyone agrees on. Uh, whereas, ironically, you know it's almost a social democratic model of the north american sports league where and and europe which is traditionally more social democratic than the united states is the wild west and free market uh when it comes to football in any event um with almost no constraints on anything and you have dodgy money coming in from all sorts of directions so i don't think they fully got came to terms with that and i still think they're struggling with that in their insistence on something like ffp Mm. So I think in trying to, they thought, well, FFP would be a, a put a kind of keep a lid on costs. Hasn't really turned out that way. So what they've done is instead turn their attention to getting the performance model of the of the uh, of the club to operate at a higher level. And you know, Camoli had a game plan 
that didn't see itself out. Uh, um, but some of the talent that he identified, like Suarez, for example, but others, um, really did pan out um, as uh, you know, so I think he had an eye for for talent, but never really had a had a system that worked. And then we ended up with the halfway house of Rogers and the transfer committee. And even there, you know, you had uh, uh, an overwhelming ego in the form of the manager, with you know some good instincts, some terrible instincts. Um, in 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 Texas, they call that all hat and no cattle, and. Uh, <laughs> That's that's how sometimes it felt. By the end, certainly, it's how it felt with with Rogers. And then we end up with 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 Klopp, who has a very um, well articulated personal philosophy, not just of how football should be played, but how to live a life and how how to approach life. Um, and if you have a chance to read Raphael Honigstein's yeah, uh, book, which is which is really it's very very well done, and there have been some. Biographies written of Klopp um, by German authors that are also, um, I mean, Honigstein is German, but um, in German there are some some interesting profiles of him. Um, you see, you've got a guy with a very clear sense of himself that goes from from everything to uh, his 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 faith um, to his philosophy on how football should be played, um, and all the way down to how people should treat each other, and. You, it comes through in how he articulates um, how he works with people, uh, with individuals, um, uh, how he goes out of his way to not humiliate uh, either his opponents but also his own players. You can you contrast that with so many others, um, uh, Mourinho being the the object a, a example. But um, you know the. You've got a uh, and and what I've has been interesting to watch for me this year is to see how that comes out. If you even saw the the press conference today, he was talking about uh, before the West Brom game uh, this week about his attitude toward getting people to work together and how the dynamics within the club um, uh, among the players within the squad. Are, are going everyone's saying well they all seem to get along really well and he said well that's that's kind of what happens it's as people learn together and learn how to work together that's what happens and when you get good results it's easier but sometimes you don't get the results and and uh people on the outside don't see that even when we don't get the good results it's actually still working and we're still making progress <laughs> and it's uh that that's a that takes a, a particular kind of uh, self-belief that um, in your own going back to this term performance model what mm -hmm. you need to do to get results that um, you know not many of us have but I, I think it's um, I think it's very it, it's a it's a critical part of um, of the success that I think he is building and I, I want to underscore really strongly his team are building because, uh, and I don't mean the squad. I mean Peter Kravitz. I mean uh, Zeko Buvac, um, and even some of the other folks. Pep Linders was was part of that as well. Um, and um, you know, if you read one of the few interviews that some of those folks have given, like Buvac, I don't think has said two words in the English media since he's taken over the his role. But Peter Kravitz has said, you know, Jurgen is the person out in front, and he talks. We all have important roles, and one of his roles is to be the person who's public. 
And so I think that there is very much a uh, more than a triumvirate, but certainly three players behind mm. what goes into the match day preparation. Michael, I want to I want to look at. I'm not sure when Gags is going to put this out, but as of the, as of this moment, it's pretty. It's a pretty good place right now to be a Liverpool supporter in supporter land. You know, we're we're going into the first leg of the the semi semi final of the Champions League. You c- I can't can't quite believe it to be honest. And just a a few months ago, a few weeks ago, it feels even we were all up in arms that the club were selling our allegedly best player i say allegedly because although i'm a big fan of philip coutinho i i i didn't like the way he was always waved upon him as the best player yes technically perhaps i don't know tying myself up in in knots here but i i just wanted to say that i never felt that coutinho was our best player there i've said it um and yet klopp lets him go seemingly we don't really replace him everyone's in the media is talking about we've got to sign a replacement we've got to get a replacement who are we going to get in we're going to get the money spend the money blah 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 here we are in the semi-finals of the champions league i think that is a reflection now of course all these machinations behind the windows something could behind the doors could have been going on the club could have been desperate to find uh, someone to replace coutinho and it didn't but from the outside it looks like klopp went no the team sticks together we are strengthening the team by letting someone who doesn't want to be in the team to go elsewhere. Other players will step up. They bring in Virgil van Dijk, as was planned. They were going to do that anyway, no matter what. And the club move forward. And we've seen an exponential improvement in the side. Some, some of the players this season have come on so much since Coutinho has left. And I think that this is part of Klopp's Meant, I don't think Klopp was phased by Coutinho's departure. I don't have the answers. Uh, I have some thoughts, but I'd like to sort of, you know, talk through that whole Coutinho departure with with through this lens of Klopp's approach as a teacher, as an organizer, as uh, as a as a team leader. Emphasis on them being a team. Can we talk a bit about the Coutinho situation? You know, I'm really glad you asked that question. Uh, during the transfer window, Simon Brundish, I'm going to reference him again. Uh, and those, if, by the way, this is not going to go on AI Pro, but if you can sign up for AI Pro, you'll get all this content um, from uh, the Fatigue Index and UP and so on. But during the window, Gags and Simon Brundish were having a conversation. And Simon made the observation, it was early, it was early January, he said, we're not adding anyone more. After Phil left, we're not adding anyone more. And uh, he said, why would you? What do you tell the people in the law in, in your in your changing room, um, who would a Milner or an Oxley Chamberlain or others, who have been working with you all year, and who are now uh, being told that Thomas Lamar or someone like that is coming in, um, and is going to take game time away from them? Uh, they've been putting in a shift since late July, early August, and now you're telling them, yeah. Um, We've seen Phil go, but we think you're lacking. It's just not going to happen. And he turned out to be right. And um, the the margins of quality inside the Premier League are so among players are so slight. Um, it's not like what John, when you and I were growing up watching, you know, Oxford United and 
Stoke play Liverpool um, or uh, what was the other team? Wimbledon, where you just basically had a gang of thugs uh, lumping the ball up the field. The, the quality of players, uh, even in the in the lower half of the uh, league, the uh, individual players is extremely high. Where competitive advantage is found is how you get those those players to play together and having a system that you think can succeed in the context of how other teams play. Um, and so, you know, looking at at the departure of Coutinho, I think um, Klopp uh, did two things, which are easy to see from hindsight. One, he you, you've seen stepped up performance from a couple of players, notably uh, Milner and and Chamberlain, who've between the two of them really taken on those extra minutes plus hmm. and um, performed in a different way. But also, I think more clearly imposed kind of the uh, tactical and strategic approach uh, that Klopp actually wants to play in. That, that Phil, and I was looking at a column Andrew Beasley had done a few weeks ago, uh, looking at the, our results since Coutinho, pre and post Coutinho, uh, and that our, our points per game are much higher um, uh, without Coutinho, uh, you know, in this season. And that the number of games in which we score two or more goals um, is really the uh, is the key that that uh, we had a higher likelihood of scoring a goal with only, uh, scoring only one goal in a match if Coutinho was there than we did in games when he wasn't there, but we had a, a lower likelihood of scoring two or more goals um, uh, when he was playing. And it's you know tactically specifically one specific thing I think we can all point to where when the team would be down and needed extra. Uh, uh, an extra push, Coutinho would, you know, try to hit his worldies from 20 yards out, and uh, it was literally hit or miss. Um, but the hits were memorable, and in some cases unforgettable. Uh, I may be getting the stats slightly wrong, but if you can find find some of those, the, I, I think that's that's one of the very practical things. But I think the group works better together um, and is able to execute the tactical requirements of the club system um, without the wild card of the of the little magician, however great a player mm. he was. I think that's what I find so fascinating um, coming from a classic vintage year as, as I do, age 48, <laughs> having seen so many teams over the players over the years. There's, you know, there has been the Robbie Fowler, the, the, the Michael Owen, the Kenny Dalglish, the Ian Rush, the, that sort of player that you associate with a lot of goals. This year, Bobby Firmino, 20, what is it, 25 plus, Salah, <laughs> upwards of 40 and, and counting, uh, Mane, scoring like no tomorrow. It, it, it's the system. I think for the first time in my, 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 my life following Liverpool, it feels like it's the system. Of course, take Mo Salah. You know, if Mo Salah picks up an injury or Firmino picks up an injury, the system is going to struggle. But I think that there's something about the way that we play now that goals are coming from all over the park. That, that, that's what I'm trying to get at. And I think that with Coutinho gone, Coutinho for me was, was a bit like the Jared sort of figure that give it to Stevie to, to create something magical and win the match for us. Give it to exactly. Phil to create something and win the match for us. And it seems now that when, when Phil goes that you've got, uh, Chamberlain who's, you know, 
who's not as technically gifted as Coutinho. But what he makes up for is he's got some... He, Chamberlain, for me, is fascinating because at Arsenal, he had a lot of promise, but I never really felt that, that the club or Wenger backed him. I think Klopp has has backed Chamberlain. And whether it's circumstances whether it's what's going on behind closed doors. But there is something around Oxlade-Chamberlain, which is fantastic to see. Here is the, as a young lad, a professional, who's, who's already done a lot in the game so you know, in his career yep. so far. But suddenly he's really come alive. And when, uh, when, when Salah scores the, the goal at City from Chamberlain's move, He's right in Salah's face and the, the, the energy and, you know, it's like it explodes the, the passion. And I love the fact that there is this guy who is using, I, I, I think this is, and I say this again and again and again on my shows, it's the romance of football. I love seeing a young lad who was the next big thing go to Arsenal to be the next big thing who gets injuries and it doesn't go quite right for them and then comes to Liverpool and we're all a bit suspect and suddenly he's scoring a fantastic goal in the Champions League. I mean, his own goal in the the, the tie was phenomenal. He's making so much for the players around him. I can't help but love the story that is Oxlade-Chamberlain this season. And I totally I, agree. And, and for me, that is something... I don't know what it is, but for me, I, it, it seems to be to do with Klopp's organisational approach to running a football club. So I, I let me talk about it on two levels because I totally agree with you and it, it excites me enormously. And, and you know, you've led organisations, and I've had the good fortune of being in leadership roles in, in different organisations. And if you, um, so l- let me talk about kind of the uh, Saint. Jurgen, hey, geography part of this. If you're lucky enough to to be in a situation where you've got talented people whose potential isn't being realized um, for whatever reasons, uh, and you can and you can really pour yourself into the job of making them better, um, not just better players and better at their jobs, but better people um, and people who who come out of the experience of working with you with with their character enhanced and their life experience enhanced and maybe even come some of their kind of personal philosophy influenced and shaped by you. That can be a really rewarding experience. And I think, uh, you know, on the basis of zero meaningful information about what actually happens behind closed doors, you do see this young man grow in to growing in stature um and in their different ways actually so many of the players have have gone through a version of that as uh, what i've seen and i think it's because of this very hands-on i'm here to help you um become you know to use the new age phrase your best self but you're to really realize your potential um and and i don't know if you caught and i've been looking for clips of it um uh, and I haven't been able to find the transcript, but if you if you caught Klopp's post match trans uh, uh, post match um, press conference after Man- the second leg at Man City, after the first leg, you remember he was a bit angry actually, 
and irritated uh, that you know uh, we're only at halftime and don't get ahead of yourself. And then uh, he was a bit more expansive after last uh, or whatever it was to uh, last week um, in in Manchester, and he said, you know, it started very very difficult. It was really difficult, and and we weren't we weren't that great, but they were very very good, and and we had a lot of difficulty. And he said, you know, but that's life. <laughs> you hope you hope really in every situation that you start well and then it gets better from there that's not how it works and generally that's not how life works and this is a really important lesson for all of us uh who met his team all of us in in terms of life and how we cope with life because there are going to be moments that are difficult and you have to find your way through those and like i i, I see that in this guy that for him Doing this job is fantastic, and he loves it. And if you can cl- catch the, the today's press conference, it was really it was really good uh, because they were asking about, about the pressure because Wenger has has stepped down and the pressure of the job and the tough. And he's sort of like, look, I'm really lucky to do what I get to do. And and yeah, there's pressure, but I get paid a lot of money. But more importantly, I just get to do this. <laughs> and you see a guy who's doing this job for the purpose of doing the job, but you almost have a sense that he has a higher calling uh, around. Turning doubters into believers, whether it's as individual players doubting themselves and making them believe in themselves about the real things, or whether it's supporters or whether it's others. Um, turning, you know, he's got a little bit of an evangelical side to him. So that's the hagiography. Hey, so I'll put that to one side. Let's talk about um, what you were saying, though, about um, Oxlade Chamberlain. You know, I think what's interesting about watching these players is. Um, and it was talked about on another pod where they looked at players like Lewandowski wouldn't be an example, but Mario Götze would be, um, uh, Nuri Shaheen would be examples of Dortmund players who played their best football under Klopp's and under within Klopp's system, and that when they went other places, they were a shadow of themselves. They were still good footballers, but they were not performing at this superlative level and i i I think there are a few players in our side who will do well wherever they go but i think there are some of these super performances that we're seeing right now that are um very much due to the talent but it's the talent in the right context and so i think mohammed salah's results here are extraordinary talent and you see his but it's it's in what context are you applying those talents? And I think we are in a perfect context for him, both in terms of how we set up tactically with the talent that we have around him. And and even um, – actually, let's look at our two fullbacks, um, our two now starting fullbacks. I think they're – or Loris Karius. I think the context they're in now with Virgil van Dijk uh, and even Dejan Lovren with Virgil van Dijk there, it's a different context. Uh, and and I think the club defensive system requires you know a mighty oak like a like a uh, Van Dyke who's calm, poised on the ball, big can cover off in the air. I guess what I'm trying to say is the system is a real thing. It's not just throwing the uh, eleven best players on the pitch. It's putting the eleven best players for the system on the pitch. And I think we're pretty close in about. Seven or six or seven of our positions to having people who play the roles that they do, who are among the top 
three or four people in the world to play those roles. Uh, I mean, maybe our fullbacks, it's a bit overstated there, but um, you, you kind of get my point. I'm yeah. exaggerating the, the point. And uh, that's what I think is so exciting. He's got a, uh, the, the team, the coaching team has a, a vision of what it takes to get results and what kind of system will produce results. They've joined that up with a recruitment team that seems to do an excellent job of identifying people who can consistently deliver the qualities that are required to be successful in that. And I think what we're seeing, you know, we've seen since Christmas is, is sort of uh, that coming together. I, th- I mean, it's, it's, it's really, it's really exciting, I think, but it, as, as we as we get to this point in the se- in the season where we are competing for something like a champion, Champions League, are, are are we do we do we get caught up with sort of you know these rose tinted spectacles? Are things really as good as it seems, or it it you know we <laughs> we the, the 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 goals that should should have been disallowed or shouldn't have been disallowed the 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 rub of the green etc cetera, etc cetera, against Man City. Or, or, or is it that when you do, you make the kind of changes that Klopp has made to the culture of the club, in terms of attitude, professionalism, preparation, self-respect, uh, respect for the fans, respect for referees, every, all these aspects of the game, are we are, are we getting the run of the the green because? Uh, I mean, this goes back to my whole thing about strategy. Is it you know that Klopp's attention to detail, that the Klopp team have changed so many things and have brought in so many, so much positivity on so many levels? Is that what we're benefiting from? Hard to argue. Uh, hard to argue. I mean, well, look, um, we will know at the end of the season. You know, we'll we'll know within the next uh, ten days whether. Uh, this has been a magical season, or or just one that peters out at the uh, toward the end. I, I I think we can count on um, him rolling out the strongest side for every match uh, through Chelsea. I think, um, uh, or maybe you know if we've already sewn things up, maybe we put out a weekend side for Chelsea. I'm not sure, um, but uh, because I I do think a lot of this. Uh, ends up being hindsight confirmation bias, right? So we're sure. saying all these wonderful things because of the the experience we've had of the last sort of eight to ten weeks, um, you know, which which you know, if if the season were to peter out and we don't win a single more game, uh, we'll look really foolish and haven't <laughs> been drinking the Kool Aid. Um, but I, I don't I don't think it's likely. Um, here's here one of my things about this is that. Um, I think uh, the, con- the the attention to detail is one element of this, um, which is undeniable. But I only see from the outside. What I would say is the manner of our method of work and our way of playing seems very, very, very complex. Uh, involves very complex patterns um, and a lot of repetitions, and um, and then people. Uh, who are carrying that out, who have great technical capacity. And um, it takes a long time to get momentum around that. Klopp talked about this on the press conference today, that he remembered the first match he went out with, the, as he put it, the 
boys on uh, three days after he had taken over and people are saying, I don't see any difference in the team. And he's like, what do you expect? <laughs> of course you're not going to see any difference. It's it, get Durable competitive advantage requires actually doing all sorts of really difficult things that are hard to break down and hard to figure out for, by, for other people. And what I'm seeing in how we play is pretty hard to break down and pretty – uh, hard for other people to to understand, and um, that's where I think um, what 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 I'm hoping we're going to continue to see evolve. But I think that's what's gotten us this far. It's it's um, people so the opponents sort of know what we're going to do, and then we still kind of go ahead and do it, and they can't stop it. And and um, and then the the then we evolve it, you know, after every six games, what we do is slightly different from what they expect us to do. So, for example, the West Ham, the setup for the West Ham away match, where I think we played two up top, or we had some very weird formation that wasn't the typical 4-3-3. Um, and it caught the other team uh, unawares. And, uh, and there have been some matches where it's looked like we played almost with three at the back, uh, for stretches, uh, where we've changed things up just a little bit um, to try to continue to evolve how we play so that we're not predictable. Um, but even in the context of being predictable, the way the, our, the way in which we try to execute, it involves a lot of interplay that um, is just, I think, hard for, for people who are really, really good footballers, but not at the level of our footballers, to anticipate and break down. So that's where I think it's coming from. Mm. I don't know if that answers the question. For me, it's so difficult because there are so many facets to Liverpool. I mean, Liverpool, a brand, Liverpool, a club, Liverpool, an organization that we're trying to find. We're constructing coherence within a really, really big organization. And I think that's that's one thing that you know, no, no matter what, when you talk about any kind of organization, or whether it's a team of five or a team of 5,000, it is a complex entity with, with so many different factors that influence the dynamic of how it works. One thing that I wanted to ask you about with Klopp, though, as, as, uh, as the, the head of our organization, the head of the team, the, the, the manager of the club, how do you think he is on taking the difficult decisions because he's very very much liked you know he seems friends of mine will say to me you know oh gosh i wish i had wish we had jürgen klopp as manager of our club he he seems to be it's the first time in my lifetime i can remember anyone ever saying they wish that the liverpool manager was you know manager of their club um and these are other premier premier league uh, club fans um but but i cuz cuz i mean he he has to make really difficult decisions at times um and i'm 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 sure he does what what's your take on 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 Klopp he's i don't think he is this super friendly nice guy i think he's as tough as i think he'd sell his grandmother down the road to win the premier league yeah, I'm not sure. I don't think so, actually. I, I think he's very practical and very pragmatic, and I think he understands who he is. And I think, like many of us, in situations where you've got to make tough decisions about others, um, he tries to frame it in a way that uh, – not frame it, sorry. He, I think he, he gets himself into a mindset where he says, what's the best thing for this person? 
because the best thing for this person is never going to be I'm going to play him and we are going to lose. That's not the best thing for that person and we're going to lose because he's playing. The best thing for this person is that that they operate in a context where they can be the most successful that they can. And so that may mean putting in extra hours, like you said, with Andy Robertson. Um, it may mean moving on, like he did with Jordan Ibe, or he may he's likely to do with Simone Mignolet. It's about seeing it in a broader context rather than the narrow, what I'll call, you know, that the narrow context of the moment or in a more transactional way that where you're trying to solve the problem of the moment and you say well i'm sorry millie you're not going to be you're not going to be dressing for this match or you're going to be on the bench for this match um you know if he can say to himself he's not ready to play but i'm going to be if he is when he is ready to play in the in the home stretch of the season he'll be just the perfect guy for me to uh for me to play so I, I think uh, there's a great story. Um, I don't know if it's in the Honigstein book or in one of the other ones that I've read where he essentially had to fire one of his best friends. Um, he, he didn't have a place for him anymore as a player. And he said, look, I've got uh, an offer from you for you from this other team. Uh, this is when he was at Mainz. Or I've got a job for you as the youth coach. Um, anyway, he was able to offer them some alternative. But he said, I can't. I can't have you play the role that you want to play and i know that's hard for you um but that's just the way you you often um often hear him say in his in his funny english that's just (laughs) the way it is that's just just the way it is and and so he he's you know he comes from a part of germany and you've heard a lot of people have heard this from swabia uh where people are very pragmatic they believe in hard work they believe in disciplined execution. Um, they are very straightforward, um, a little doer, um, which he isn't, uh, but are very practical. And it's it's sort of like, you know what? I could tell you what you want to hear. I could give you what you want. But if it doesn't give me and the rest of the group what it what it needs, then I'm not serving you either. And you know, you so I I don't think he'd tell his grandmother. I, but I do think if he thought his grandmother should be uh, in an assisted living facility, then that's where he would persuade her she needed to be. I get caught up with the because we're always reacting to the the media construction of Klopp, the persona that's put out there, whether it's the one that's constructed by the media that as it reports it, but also the the things that we want to see. I suppose as I start to wrap things up here. Today, Arsene Wenger has uh, said that he won't be at Arsenal next season, whether it's by mutual decision or I don't know. But one thing that fascinates me with uh, someone like Arsene Wenger and, and all clubs is building dynasties and what comes after. We've seen how quickly things fell apart after a certain Mr. Ferguson left Manchester United. With what Jurgen Klopp is doing, and going back to what we were saying with uh, Simon Brundish as well, with what Klopp is doing for the club, do you think it's part of Klopp's plan to build a sustainable club where Jurgen Klopp isn't necessary? I don't know. I don't know. But it should be. Um, And, you know, it's funny. One of the things I was going to say, John, is that um, as much as this has been like the most – uh, unbridled and unvarnished, um, uncritical uh, view of Jurgen Klopp. 
I'm actually um, I think he's he's been what we needed to to kind of clear out a lot of the underbrush uh, inside the club and and get clarity of purpose and clarity of focus and 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 get all the pieces aligned. I am not, however, actually a huge proponent about the uh, uh, of the um, genius leader um, and of the one person you know messianic figure. And I know even in this conversation, the way I've talked about him, he's taken on the that um, that character. I think that's. Um, a really, really important factor in what happens if we're successful this year with with a, a trophy, and if we continue to build success, I think the task at hand over the next three years will be to put in place an organizational ethic and culture and infrastructure that sustains itself uh, beyond uh, Klopp. Because Klopp won't be here more than more than seven years uh, he's been pretty clear about that uh he'll see out his contract and hopefully we can we can persuade him to do that and, and frankly may not be the best thing for the organization for him to be here longer than that because it will mean it's um not taking not grasping the nettle of having to actually uh put in place uh an organization uh that that can sustain itself it's a little bit actually going back to the phil coutinho uh, uh, example, you know, like Phil would get us out of jail from time to time, but was that the best thing for building a uh, consistently successful team? The statistics over the last 40 games compared to the 40 previous games with Phil uh, suggest that it wasn't the best solution. And so I think that same logic has to be think thought about as uh, um, as the organization continues to evolve. Um, and Wenger, the one thing I'll say also, the other reason why it's useful to think about that is Wenger's failure was he did not change. I think there are things inside an organization, values and culture, or values of an organization, values of a leadership group that shouldn't change. But the culture that surrounds it um, has to continue to evolve. And when you contrast that with uh, Alec Ferguson, Alec Ferguson adapted with the times. You know, He went from the kinds of working with the kinds of player and the kinds of circumstances that he had at Aberdeen to going through going to Manchester United have a having actually a fairly lengthy fallow period um, and was considered a flop until he won his first Premier League uh, but then he continued to adapt to new attitudes of players new and I think that's the challenge well for all of us we have to adapt to changing circumstances but when you're at the top of an organization to continue to adapt and at some point also so know when it's time for you to step back and make sure that there's a succession plan in place that will enable that's a really 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 good better. point it's a really good point ferguson ferguson's sides play different kinds of football he is he he is adaptable he looks at the resources he looks at what's needed he plays the percentage you know what what's needed there is a big difference between the side the swashbuckling side with Tevez and Rooney and Berbatov that's a fantastic side but it's very very different to the the side that he first wins the the league with i think he continue, he was a lifelong learner i'm not because we've talked about learning here with Klopp i think Ferguson was a lifelong learner he learned and i don't think and i don't think Wenger has I don't I think Wenger, and he fundamentally changed British football for the good. Absolutely, the English Premier League changed because of Wenger. The Arsenal side with Thierry Henry that terrorised Jamie Carragher 
bless him um you know and was uh, and and i was absolutely in pain (laughs) physical pain just watching it but it was an amazingly entertaining side to watch they were but wenger hasn't adapted absolutely not i mean some you know uh um there's an expression that i don't know if it's widely used but someone says when your only tool is a hammer everything begins to look like a nail and that's the risk for anyone who's successful. You know, if if they've got one thing that makes them successful, one you know go to that makes them successful, to uh, rely on that over time quickly means that you, you impose limitations on yourself. And and I have to tell you, when you talk about Ferguson as a lifelong learner and someone who is humble enough, which isn't something you normally associate with Alec Ferguson, but humble enough to know he had to keep learning. That's that say in a in a that same quality, although expressed differently, is something I've seen from the from Klopp from almost moment one. And in fact, his methodology of introducing players, testing them out during his early his first three or four months with the club, to me was actually a very deliberate and and systematic process in learning about the qualities of the players he had around him. But but even as I've seen one one of the um, things that I I think that has been a critical difference in the last two to three months that I didn't see in the early period with Klopp is his ability to adapt in game. Um, and I think that was something he really needed to work on. And we saw the adjustments made during the city match. We've seen it in other occasions, the, uh, where we've come out second half looking different than we did in the first half. Uh, that's, he seems to be continue to regard himself as a work in progress. And, Liverpool needs to be a work in progress. All of us need to be works in progress. But when you're at the top of an organization, it's easy to surround yourself with yes people who will tell you, oh, you're perfect just as you are. And the, to continue to challenge yourself, uh, that's, that's the real test of leadership. So thank you very much, Michael, for coming on the show. I really enjoyed the conversation. And if you enjoyed the conversation, uh, please consider telling other people about the show on the social media channels where you're most active. And if you've got any comments or feedback, why not reach out to me on Twitter at John Buskell, J-O-N-B-U-S-C-A-L-L. If this is the first Anfield Index podcast that you've ever, ever listened to, well, why not check out all the others over at anfieldindex.com. And you might also want to try the Anfield Index Pro Premium subscription. There's more information about that over on the main site, anfieldindex.com. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be back with another episode very soon. Liverpool in focus. One topic, one guest, every week. Sports Social Podcast Network.